Well, please open with me in your copy of God's word to the gospel according to Mark. The gospel according to Mark will be in chapter four today, verses one through 20. Chapter four, verses one through 20. Uh, just a word to the kids. Um, kids, thanks for bearing with this. Um, usually you're on site here and this room is way more exciting to be in or maybe with Kevin Johnson or Kevin Delp downstairs, they miss you and they look forward to teaching you again in person. And just thank you for your patience and for sitting still as you're able um, and for obeying your parents and honoring them on the Lord's day. You know, I don't know how um, hard this is for you, but uh, I enjoy it and I pray that, that, you, uh, that you receive the word. Chipotle, you're familiar with Chipotle. It's a family favorite of ours. Christy and I had some of our early dates at Chipotle off Rush Street, or is it Rush Avenue in Chicago, just off Michigan Avenue, when they were test driving some of these Chipotle restaurants. We couldn't quite articulate the name of it. It was, it was kind of like a fast food, but not uh, Southwestern or Mexican. We couldn't figure out what it was. And it was one of these early burrito joints. In any case, you're familiar with Chipotle. Our kids love Chipotle. One of my kids in particular loves Chipotle. Well, Chipotle's had a decent amount of press in the last number of years for salmonella. And what would happen if we came home as a family and three of the seven of us were throwing up well, we'd probably call the restaurant to let them know. Just imagine our response if the answer on the other end of the phone was, well, it's not for everyone. Like, well, you know, different people take to it in, in different ways. No, no, not at all. They wouldn't respond that way. That would be ridiculous. They would apologize. There would be some embarrassment. As long as we weren't making it up, there would be an acknowledgement that the problem was the food. Well, a good amount of discouragement or confusion in the Christian life and the life of discipleship comes on the account of the rejection and the failure, the apparent failure of the word. Imagine how Jesus' disciples must have felt by this time in the story. On the one hand, Jesus is famous That's super encouraging. Today we'll find him preaching from a boat because it's too dangerous to be on the shore. The crowd is too thick. On the other hand, Jesus's ministry is an apparent failure. Just the last time uh, we had Jesus's parents at the door with papers to um, institutionalize him. They said he's gone mad. Uh, The people in town who know the Bible best are insisting that he doesn't know what he's saying. And the crowds follow him, but Jesus isn't even really down with their, their motives. If Jesus is the king to come, and if he really brings the kingdom of God, why is it met with such mixed reactions? Is it such a powerful kingdom after all? Why does his word seem to fail? That's the question on the minds of the disciples as our story opens today. And you and I are in the same boat. So let's get in the boat with the disciples and with Jesus. And let's listen to Jesus preach and teach today. Let's do this though, as the disciples might have been. Let's listen with a critical ear. 
Let's listen with an ear for what Jesus might be doing wrong. Listening for clues as to why some might not be taking Jesus so seriously or even rejecting him. This is like the food inspector that comes to the the restaurant. And this is actually a good opportunity. Today, a crowd is gathered to hear Jesus speak. Many have not even heard him teach yet, and they're excited. They're disposed to receive him. And it occurs to us that even in reading the gospel of Mark, we've heard about him teaching, but we haven't heard him teaching. So while we're in the same boat with the disciples and Jesus there in the water, wanting to listen for what Jesus may be doing wrong and why his word isn't always received, we're also on the same shore listening to Jesus now on the page for the first time. So finally, Jesus is about to speak and the crowd is hushed. Let's listen together to Jesus's sermon. And again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell along rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. At which point he dropped the mic in the boat and rode off. Jesus was prepared. He was eloquent. His structure was clear. He chose the always attractive narrative form of preaching. It's harder. And he gave us, verses one through nine, a sermon about farming. A sermon about farming. To make sure we soak it in, let's review our sermon notes together. Kids, if you take sermon notes like my kids will and they'll draw pictures, perfectly permitted. Um, This one was easy. Lots of pictures. You couldn't even keep up. I'll do this, this review of our sermon notes by enumerating them though in, in points, which Jesus had not yet discovered as that essential way of communicating uh, sermonic material. He tells them a story about farming and dirt. He says, in effect, listen, there was a farmer, he needed a bunch of seed and he threw it everywhere. Point number one, some seed fell along the path. Well, the path was hard and packed down because that's where the people and the animals walk. It didn't go in the dirt at all. He threw it and it bounced right off. He threw it everywhere and some landed on the path and the birds ate it. We found a little bird's nest on a bush uh, yesterday. It's kind of exciting, except that I had just shaved the bush down to something and then revealed the nest. And so we're trying to figure out how to protect the, the eggs and 
not scare the mother away. She's not there. Well, one reason she might be out is she's out gathering worms or gathering seed for her young. We pray she'll come back. But that's what birds do. They'll be in their nest and they may fly around. Otherwise, they're on the ground finding food and bird finds the seed. The sower sows the seed. Bird finds the seed thrilled about it. That wasn't the intention, right? Well, the second point, some seed fell on rocky ground. There wasn't much dirt there because it was filled with rocks, but there was some dirt and some of the seed, it grew up and it grew up fast. It appeared to have promise, but the sun scorched it. Since it didn't have any roots, it, it withered up and it died. Some seed fell on a, a third kind of ground, thorny ground. And that's, that's point three, thorny ground. The thorny ground is interesting because the seed actually took root and kind of grew, but then the thorns strangled the new life until it was gone. And finally, other seed fell onto good soil. Verse eight, the seed grew up and produced all kinds of grain, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. End of sermon. A good sermon, you might say, short. My dad would say, good sermon, short. Simple, clear, rich with story, and it connects immediately to life. We all know how to apply it. A perfect sermon from history's greatest preacher. Except who cares? Who even cares? If you're not into farming, you don't care. If you're into farming, you don't need this advice. You don't need this insight. And isn't Jesus a carpenter anyway? Pardon the pun, and I hate to bring a pun like this into your living room, but Jesus, shouldn't you just stick with your own field? It's as if Jesus is conducting a sociological experiment, doing something crazy and out of, out of the norm in order to gather a reaction. An eager crowd shows up to hear him preach. He talks about farming and he's gone. Why is the word failing to get a good response? Surely we know now Jesus is a bad preacher. What does he think he's doing? One of my favorite preachers, maybe my favorite over so many years, is Alistair Alistair Begg. Now imagine Alistair Begg joins us on a Sunday morning for a Lord's Day service. Imagine the room full at Heritage here. Isn't that nice? We've spent 30 minutes in song and, and I have the privilege of introducing this servant and brother. And then he ascends the pulpit and he tells his introductory joke or something which he is good at. And then he says, listen to me. And then he proceeds to give us 10 minutes of instruction in how to replace the radiator in a Toyota Corolla and then walks off the platform and has a seat down in the front row and considers himself done. There would be two kinds of people in the room at that point. The first group would be those who aren't interested and who have lost confidence in my leadership entirely. Maybe they've heard the hype and this confirms your anti-bandwagon suspicions. What are we even doing here? But there would be a second group 
The second group isn't sure what's going on or what that meant, but they trust Alistair. I mean, they've heard him preach the word. They've heard about him. They know what he's talking about. He had a Bible up there. They suspect he's up to something. And they stay after the sermon to talk with the preacher and to ask some questions. Which is basically what happened after Jesus delivered his sermon about farming. Mark writes, verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. So you've got a large crowd. And then after, afterwards, a little behind the scenes, um, you've got the 12. And then you've got others who are gathering. And they're asking him about the parables. Many left, but some lingered and and some got in line with their questions. And we can imagine the questions, questions about meaning. Jesus, what were you trying to get across to us there? You can imagine questions about his method. Jesus, how is it exactly you think about preaching? Uh, What were you trying? Were you trying to be unclear to keep people away? I mean, I'm here, but I, you know, this didn't really work out today. Jesus is happy to oblige. He addresses both kinds of questions. He hits method and then he hits their meaning. And that'll take us for the rest of our time today. Verses 10 through 12, he gives us a lesson in preaching. He's going to address his method of preaching. What was that all about? Does Jesus really know what he's doing? Sometimes you may read Jesus on the page and ask, I'm confused. Am I supposed to be? Does he know what he's doing? Let me just note, asking questions and wanting an answer and continuing to read is a very encouraging thing for your own soul. Not giving up, but trusting that he's onto something. Well, let's, let's listen to this lesson on preaching, verse 10 through 12. When he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything's in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. There's a lot that could be said here. But three lessons on preaching. A lesson on the subject of preaching, the effect, and then the specific vehicle Jesus has chosen. First, a lesson on the subject matter of preaching, what he's preaching about. What is the subject of Jesus' preaching? What's he talking about? Well, he is talking about the kingdom of God. He preaches to reveal the kingdom of God. To you who have gathered, you've been given a secret, he says. To those who have left... Everything is in parables. The play on words there. Parables, a form of, of communication, which I'll get into in a few moments. But here he means puzzles. To them, everything just it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, doesn't make any sense. But, but this distinction he's made where he says to them, you've been given the secret, but they, everything's puzzling to them. This is confusing to us. It's confusing to me. It's why when we read this, we kind of just keep going and, under, and assume someone gets Jesus. In the first place, what can it mean that they have been given a secret? Those that stayed have stayed because they're confused. Does he think they're not confused? That's why they're there. 
In the second place, those that have left, left because they didn't understand either. It seems that Jesus does not have very good self-awareness. It's going from worse to worse. That's a lesson on the subject of Jesus' preaching. More to say about the kingdom of God. We'll get into that a good bit more next week, actually. Now the effect of Jesus' preaching. Verse 11. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything's in parables. Why? Verse 12. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, so that they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Okay, we really wish that Jesus had not just said that. He says he preaches in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Let me put this in my own words if I'm hearing him right. Is Jesus really saying, I preach in order that some might not understand because if they did understand, then they would turn and be forgiven. And we can't have that. It matters. It sounds like he's saying there are people who would turn, but in order to keep them from turning, he's giving them riddles. Is that what he's saying? Notice that he quotes the prophet Isaiah. We need to get used to hearing him quote the prophet Isaiah. We already are. The prophet Isaiah was called to preach to a generation, a nation whose heart was hard and who would not turn And God said as much. Isaiah's preaching entailed a call to repentance. And yet that preaching was actually a judgment. Because in preaching, their hearts would only become more hard. His preaching would expose the sin. It would prove the soil. Jesus is not preaching in parables in order to hide the kingdom. He's preaching in parables in order to reveal the people of God. He preaches to reveal the kingdom of God and to reveal, though, the people of the kingdom of God. Is he being unclear? Yes, but he's willing to explain. And he's doing this in order to prove that they don't care. He's preaching in in an unclear kind of way in order to clarify that they don't actually care. They see, but don't want to perceive. They hear, but they don't want to understand. Why don't they want to understand? Because if they did, they would have to turn and be forgiven. And they aren't interested in that. They don't really listen, lest they should turn. Do you hear it now? He preaches in this way, that they may indeed see, but not perceive. Hear, but not understand, lest they... they. They hear, but they won't understand. Because if they were to understand, then they would have to turn and be forgiven. And they don't want that. That is so sad. But that is what Jesus is saying. He'll have the crowds be under no illusion that they're with him if they're not. Why did some stay to ask questions? Well, they did not stay because they knew what Jesus meant. 
They stayed because they knew that Jesus knew what he meant. I don't know what he means, but I do know what he's talking about. And he's talking about the kingdom of God, and I want to understand it. Remember how Jesus called his disciples. The kingdom of God is at hand. All right, well, if you trust him and you follow and you believe that, anything he says, tell me more. Explain it to me. It's talking about the kingdom of God, not this world. Of course, there will be things that I don't understand. And even to get it across to me, he's going to have to shake me up and rattle me and turn me around and confuse me and turn me upside down. Because the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of this world. And so no surprise, strange sermon, I'm going to hang after and ask him some questions. And of course, Jesus is glad to share. Those who left figure the kingdom is nice, but nonsense, not worth investigation. Those who stayed know Jesus is up to something, which means that this for you and for me, we must not judge Jesus by our expectations for the kingdom. We must judge our expectations for the kingdom by Jesus. Don't judge Jesus by your expectations for what the Christian life should look like and feel like and and benefit to you in a certain way and how it should go. Judge your expectations by Jesus and by, by his word. Jesus is not just trying to be clear. He is trying to make his hearers clear. And so here's the point. Jesus is not just sowing the word into soil. Jesus is sifting the soil with his word. He is the sower and he is the sifter. He preaches to reveal the kingdom of God. That's the subject of his preaching. But he preaches as well to reveal the people of God. And that's the effect of his preaching. He knows exactly what he's doing, which is why he chose this particular vehicle for preaching in this moment, the vehicle of parables. That's our third lesson on preaching. Jesus preached in many different forms. The Sermon on the Mount was one form. He was happy to be clear and and give us propositions. And he spoke in parables at times. When he spoke to mixed crowds of this nature, he spoke in parables. What are parables? Well, they're earthy, lifelike, real-life kind of stories about common experience that we understand that communicate something about the kingdom of God that is otherwise beyond our imagination and thinking. They're like political cartoons. If you were in a another country and opened up the newspaper and were to read a political cartoon, you might see some animals and some commentary. You have no idea what was funny about it or true about it. You have to be from that world. You have to know what the reference are, what this animal means and that animal means. Of course, we understand our own political cartoons in our own context. Parables are kind of like dreamlike stories, stories from another kind of world. And it's not that the story itself is the world of the kingdom of God, but it's, it makes connections with our world in a way that helps us understand what the kingdom of God is like. They're perfect vehicles for transforming our thinking if we're willing, if we're willing to hear them 
and were patient to hear Jesus out. You may ask, should I preach, should Trent preach in opaque sermons? I don't think so. Should I preach in sermons that divide the room in clear terms? Absolutely. So that it becomes clear in the course of time who is with Jesus and who is not with Jesus? Yes, I must. Because that's what the Word does. Helpful conversation with Dan Kruver in the last week on this matter. To believers flirting with apostasy. The author of the book of Hebrew, letter, the, the Hebrew Christians wrote this, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. What is that two-edged sword? Is that just sort of a nice image to illustrate just how sharp it is? It sure does that. But it's a little strange for for an author like this to get out an image with that kind of particularity, there isn't something to it besides really sharp. Sword would do just fine. But you see, the Hebrew Christians were flirting with leaving Jesus, and the Word of God discerns who is with him and who is not. Context is the wilderness generation and some who were fighting God in their hearts and who would not enter the land and some who would enter the land. There's a double-edged sword dividing the people from those that aren't really with Jesus. Think of Revelation. Twice Jesus is said to have a two-edged sword. He has a two-edged sword coming out of his, his mouth. And excuse me, I don't know if it's out of his mouth, but he has a sword in his letter to uh, Pergamum, a compromised church. His word is a word of judgment. To the angel of the church at Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Jesus' word would reveal who was and who wasn't his. Preaching sorts out the hearers one way or another. Jesus' method of parables was perfectly suited to the particularly ambiguous audience of the crowd. Because Jesus could throw out this thing about the farmers and then wait a little while and you see who you've got. That's a lesson in preaching, Jesus' method. But what did Jesus mean? Because we want to know that too. What did Jesus mean? He's happy to explain to anyone who wants to know. And by the way, isn't that encouraging? Because if you're listening and you're wondering if you're the one who's wandered off, as long as you have breath, you can show up to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his word. You've tuned in this morning. That's not nothing. And each time you come the Lord's day to hear his word, that's a way of coming to Jesus to say, tell me more. And maybe you've come to church a thousand times and you just don't get it. That's okay. Sometimes it's the preacher. This isn't a sermon on better and worse preaching. Every preacher needs to be making progress in his work. Paul encouraged Timothy that way. We don't have a ton of how-tos on how to put together a sermon, but a sermon should be an open statement of the truth. It should be straightforward and plain even if it may take some development. But everyone hears in different ways, and we bring different backgrounds to the hearing, and 
It can take a while for things to click, and I'm a mere human preacher. Don't be discouraged if in reading the Bible, it's not always plain in the moment, or in hearing a sermon, it's not always plain in the moment. That you're showing up to hear more is a way of saying to Jesus, would you tell me what you mean? I'm interested in hearing more. I don't know what he means, but I know what the preacher's talking about. He's talking about the kingdom of God, and I'm in for that. So just be encouraged that you've tuned in. Just be encouraged if you'd show up to sit at Jesus' feet. And if you haven't, so long as you have breath, you can show up to sit at Jesus' feet. He welcomes you there. He's given us a word about his method. Now he shares what he means. And Jesus is a very clear preacher. In Jesus' parable, he has a certain meaning, and here it is. Here is a word from Jesus, a word that you need. A word that you need, verses 13 through 20. Let me just reflect on why we need what he's about to say before we get into it. We need this. Jesus knows his disciples were uncertain of what to make of the word's failure. He knows his disciples were a little uneasy about the family at the door. A little uneasy about how everyone was disappearing after Jesus preached. And they would need help in the days to come because there would be plenty more of that to come. And Jesus knows, and Mark in putting it here knows, that you and I need this too because our own present day is filled with all kinds of responses to Jesus. Plenty of people are for him, but they really don't get him, and we know that. Plenty of people have heard him right, and they've rejected him full stop. A lot of those people are pretty smart. What do we to make of all this? Jesus knows that we need what he's about to say. So here's a word that we need, a word of discernment, to know what to make of the many responses. We're all preachers, by the way. Parents in your own home, you're a preacher, little case, lowercase p. We need a word of discernment to recognize a disciple when we make one. It's why the passage is here. Not everyone who nods along and affirms is a disciple. And you can't know, but for some pressures that we'll, we'll see. Yes, our assurance increases with time. And even to know, to discern our own responses, our own ongoing patterns of response, our own various responses, even day to day, sometimes we're one soil and sometimes we're another. And what are we on the whole? The disciples on the page needed discernment for both as well, for they were going to preach. But their own responses were a mixed bag as well, and they would need what Jesus is about to say. We need it for discernment. We also need it for encouragement, for there's great reason for discouragement. This is a hard world. The path of the cross is hard, and plenty will shout us down while we're on it. What are we even doing throwing our lives away with Jesus? Here's a word of encouragement. You're going to find out what it is before we're done. Verse 14. Let's get into it. Jesus says, The sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. Okay, now he's explaining the reference in his parable. This is a parable about the word of God, the word about the kingdom of God, and and the real world behind, underneath, around, and ahead of the world that we see. The world that's dawning. The sower, who is that? That's Jesus. Or any authorized preacher. Jesus' disciples who he calls to himself and makes fishers of men. 
Here's an easy takeaway. Friends, the kingdom of God. Church is like farming. Like farming. No, it's not farming. That would be good news for like five people. Of course, I say that while things are running out on the shelves. I think I might all want to go back to farming. I see that box in my neighbor's yard where they grow little plants, and I think, oh, that's a nice hobby. Wait a second. I think I need some plants. (laughs) Kingdom of God is like farming. He's saying that the kingdom of God is like farming, not fireworks. And this was an exception to the expectation in the first century. And sometimes our expectation of what's supposed to happen when you become a Christian or what's supposed to happen when you, when you go to church. Fireworks. It's way more like farming. And that'll slow you down. That'll slow you way down. A healthy church relaxes and takes things in stride and watches the grass grow. That's a word about the seed and the sower. Now a word about the soil. Word about the soil. What does the word, excuse me, why does the word seem to fail so often? Why does it seem to fail so often? Is it a failure in the kitchen? Bad cooking? So we throw up and we get home? This is not a sermon on good or bad sermons, as I've said. There is a such thing. You've heard some in good, bad sermons from me. I pray they're all faithful sermons, but it's right to aspire to be clear and persuasive. That's not what we're talking about here. In Jesus' story, there were four types of hearers of sermons. There were four types of earth, and we could say there are four types of ears. It matters how you hear the word. Stay up until two in the morning, roll out of bed with just enough time, throw everyone in the car, everyone's screaming, partly because we just weren't willing to get up in time to get things rolling. Men, get your houses in order so that we're rested and we're ready and we're seated to hear the word. It can be done. Different types of hearers, that's the point. Jesus recognizes that. Four types. Hearing is mentioned seven times in these 20 verses of our morning's passage. It's mentioned five times here in his explanation. That first parable was bookended by the words, listen, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hearing gets a lot of ink in this parable. Hearing determines the reception. The location of the seed determines the fate of the seed. There are four types of hearing. First, there's those who are hard of hearing. Or those who don't hear anything. I grieve for anybody whose hearing is failing. I know that for many in our own congregation, they come and it's hard to hear. And they try. And we're always working on the tech to make that easier. That's, of course, not what we're talking about here. This is a spiritual heart of hearing. The heart of hearing have no hearing. They have no interest, in other words, in the word to accept it. Instead, they reject it outright, immediately. Jesus is preaching the word, and these guys are technically hearing it. You think of the Pharisees. They're hearing it, but it's bouncing right off. Rejected it. There's also outsiders in these crowds. They're more ambivalent, but they reject it just the same. Moving on. 
When participation, friends, in religious activity is a matter of serving ourselves, you may be in church and you may be hard of hearing. You may be in church participating in this religious kind of activity as an outward show or as a show to God of how good you are and the seed is bouncing right off. Careful, careful. I remember an internship when I was a student in uh, student ministry, excuse me, student ministry in California. This is 2001 or so. And there was a new student minister over the middle school. And he was redesigning the way the middle school ministry worked. And he was doing a good job and building out some small groups and teaching was thickening up and small group leaders were helping to teach. And it was, I was all in. And he was putting me to work as an intern, writing the teaching and, and small group material. And it was, uh, it was a good little, good little program as programs go. Putting the Bible in the middle of the thing. It was still plenty of fun. I remember getting a call from a mom. This was a very affluent town, by the way. So that's just to indicate something. That's their struggle there with this kind of thinking. I get a call from a mom screaming, screaming. Johnny doesn't even want to go to church anymore. Well, why not? Because of the Bible study. Tell me more. It needs to be fun. He's going for fun. Okay. He's going, okay, so we're for fun, but... So, the, so, the, so in other words, like not interested in the Bible study, please cancel the Bible part of the meeting. I'm not sure it was so shallow before. Perhaps it was something softer and a little more, um, I don't know, maybe even the preaching was so engaging that it didn't feel like Bible. Somehow sitting around with a Bible and reading and discussing with a small group leader, and these are really dear people, presented such an obstacle for this student that he didn't want to go to church anymore. Mom and dad are so upset because they want him to go to church, but they're so upset the Bible would be a part of the program. What's going on there? They're not discerning the soil of the child's heart. Neither are they discerning their own soil. Hard of hearing. It's the best way I would know to describe it. I haven't forgotten that call. She was very upset at me. Their hearts are hard and the word bounces right off. Satan takes it as soon as it's preached. It's eaten by birds. So what happens when the seed of the word hits the ground of your ears, friend? Does it annoy you? Does it aggravate you? Do you only like to hear it when it's super encouraging and affirming? Do you challenge God or, or do you seek to understand him? When you hear something that doesn't sound right, do you seek to listen to the word on its own terms to seek it out? Or are you dead set against what it says, committed to what you're sure it must say because it must align with how you think? Or maybe you're too big for all this God Bible stuff nonsense anyways. Maybe you're not even mad. You just don't really care. Friends, Pilate was not mad. The one, the Roman official who sent Jesus to the cross, he wasn't mad. He just didn't care. He had a crowd to deal with of his own. And he wasn't really in the mood for them to be all that riled up at him. So send him along. Blood's not on my hands. There are those who are hard of hearing. Next kind of hearing we might call shallow hearing. They'll listen happily as long as it's easy enough. 
Verse 16, and these are the ones sown into rocky soil, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. We can always celebrate that. Verse 7, and then they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Without roots, a plant will not hold up in harsh conditions. I'm amazed at the conditions that the giant trees around our house and in our town stand up against. Tornadoes can take them down, but by and large, these giant trees, they stand up in harsh conditions. Over the plant without roots doesn't stand up in harsh conditions. And without root, without root in the word, without depth in the word, you won't stand up in harsh conditions. And many who fall away fall away because they lacked root. It was the soil. The invitation is always there to come. But so long as they've fallen away and stay away, the answer might be a hard heart, might also be shallow hearing. Who in the story of Mark received the word immediately with joy? Well, the disciples left their boats and received the word with rejoicing. But remember what Peter will say to Jesus. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And when Jesus is arrested, Peter will follow him at a distance. And when asked by a servant girl if he is associated with Jesus, he will say, I don't know the man and deny Jesus three times. There couldn't be a human being at that time in the universe to whom it would be easier and less intimidating to confess one's identification with Jesus than a servant and a young servant girl. But Peter would not do it. The rest of the disciples will flee for their own reasons and Jesus will die alone. In fact, there is no good soil truly until the Spirit comes at Pentecost. Jesus is helping them discern their own hearts. The scorching heat of the sun will wither them and others because they have no root. The scorching heat which burns your job on account of Christ and your freedoms on account of Christ, your relationships on account of Christ, that burns and scorches your comforts and your wealth, even your very life on account of Christ. When the word takes root, it can bear up under that kind of heat. Then there's those with divided hearing. They're listening, but mostly listening to something else. I have a very hard time listening to two things at once. Increasingly, that's the case for Christy as well. We always have to make sure we're looking at each other. It's mostly me, like I'm looking and I'm listening. I can even be listening to things in my head and not hear something out here at all. Verse 18, others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who, they hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word out and it proves unfruitful. We had pressure from persecution, which scorches the word. Now we have a pull of other things and the cares of the world and, and everyday work. And even household things and hobbies, things we enjoy, they're not bad in themselves, can choke out the word when they become too important to us. 
We allow them to dominate us and take us over. There are costs associated with the word. Now, there are cares for things other than the word that choke it out. Think of power and acclaim. Herod comes to mind. We'll learn about him in coming weeks. He was interested in what John the Baptist had to say. John the Baptist was his prisoner, and he heard John gladly. But when it would come with a cost of losing reputation or face with his guests, give me John's head. Riches come to mind. The rich young ruler on the page of this book will find. Jesus asked him to give away all he had and follow him, but he wouldn't. And it's not that he must do that in order to achieve favor with Jesus. It's that that's the way Jesus knows if he's the real deal. He can, he can command everything from us in a moment. He can take our cares, take the things that we care about away from us, and we, we're still his. And that's how you know. Judas comes to mind. All that time with Jesus... But promised money for Christ, Judas crashed, cashed Jesus in. The soil of his heart was filled with the thorns of money and a love of power. And these thorns choked out Jesus' precious word in his own life. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. I'm thinking of two friends. Uh, dear friends, grew up in believing homes and professed Christ for years. Now they're living together. It's not an appropriate relationship. What happened there? Well, friend, if that's your child, if that's your best friend, if that's your brother or sister, don't take any comfort. Don't do this. You don't have a Bible verse for this. You got Bible verses against this. Don't take any comfort in apparent sincerity of a profession when they were five or eight or 10 or 20. Jesus gives us a grid. He says it's going to happen. Some will receive it with joy. But because there's no root, they'll wither under pressure. Some will receive it and appear to grow for a time. But over a time, the cares of this world and the desires for other things will pull them away. That's what Jesus is saying. These are all really one kind of hearing. That's what I'm saying. He's not, he's not giving you like five different types of Christians, four different types of Christians. He's helping you understand who's on the path of the cross and, and who leaves and who walks. There's really one kind of hearing He's talking about here, one kind of soil, same outcome. The word does not last. Plenty of seed will appear to fail. But don't be embarrassed by that, Christian. Don't be apologetic about that. Don't stress out about that. Even pray, plead, preach. But don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged about that. Much will be lost, Jesus is saying. This is how it goes. But don't miss this. Many, many, many will hear and will perceive and will understand and will turn and will be forgiven and will bear fruit. Verse 20. But those that are sown on the rocky, on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. 
Three kinds of soil did not produce fruit. Now three kinds of harvests, presumably three kinds of, of soils. We don't want to overread into elements of these parables. I don't see a reason why we can't see variation here. Take some comfort. Um, you don't bear as much fruit as the person next to you. Maybe you don't know how much of the fruit they're actually bearing. Neither here nor there. Jesus accepts those who receive the word. And we bear different kinds and amounts of fruit. What good news this is after all. In a world where sin seems to reign since Adam and where our lives are wrecked by it and so much seems so hard and so cold, here is an indication of the world to come, of the kingdom of God breaking into this world. In the songs of the saints every Lord's day as they sing his praise and confess their sins, as we did today, confessing our lack of love for the Bible. I pray you meant that too. I meant that. I mean, I spent a lot of time in the book. I feel that I don't treasure the word of God like I should. I sure hope I don't. By that I mean, I hope that when I meet the Lord that I treasure him a whole lot more than I do now. We confess our sins. Taste it, see it, be encouraged by this vision of multiplying fruit and know that the world to come, the kingdom of God, the new creation will be filled with it. Let it motivate you to listen, to hear, and to listen well on Sundays. What does it mean to listen well? Let's engage that question as we bring this thing in for a landing. What does it mean to see and perceive, to hear and to understand? Three things, brothers and sisters. Receive the word immediately. Receive it immediately. Not like the path, resistance. Have soft hearts. Show up to hear it. I did not say perfectly. I said immediately. We can easily read this and start feeling guilty for not producing enough fruit. But don't forget what produces the fruit. It's the word. And don't forget what we've witnessed in Jesus' ministry so far. This is important. There were those who received the word and it wasn't the most righteous. It wasn't people we would expect. It was the people we would not expect. Tax collectors and sinners have received it. It was those who apparently knew they needed it. Those who hungered for a better kingdom, even if they didn't know what it was. Those dissatisfied with the kingdom of this world. And maybe you found yourself dissatisfied with the kingdom of this world because you wrung it out. You feel guilty about that. But at least you know there's nothing to it. You're looking for another kingdom. And maybe you've been looking in all the wrong places. Well, here's the right place. Jesus has a word for you. The pattern of who receives and rejects the word has not been so easily discernible in Jesus' own story, and it's not all so easily discernible in our own day. We spread the word indiscriminately, believing it can sprout up anywhere. Good soil is not soil from the hills of heaven. It's soil that believes in heaven, that wants heaven, and that will trust Jesus' word for heaven, even when it doesn't totally understand what he's talking about. It'll show up later and ask questions. So here's, a, here's an application. Let us be a church that is easily edified. Easily edified. Don't have such a high bar before you're interested in a sermon. Don't have such a high bar before you're willing to say, I'm thankful for that. I've heard a bunch of sermons. I've heard sermons on this one before. Let me compare it with the one I've heard before. There's always a new word for you in the word preached on the Lord's day. Receive the word. 
do so immediately. Be easily encouraged and edified by it. Brothers receive, brothers and sisters receive the word deeply. Receive it deeply, as in with deep roots. Let it go down. Let it go down. Meditate on it. Ponder it. Take notes. You don't have to take notes. That's not necessarily even better when you're listening to sermons, unless you have to. Just let it hit you. But take mental notes. Keep it in front of your mind. Listen to a sermon a second time. You might have to do that with my preaching sometimes. Receive it with its costs. Let it go down. Trust a cross for heaven and be willing to bear one on your way there. That's what the path entails. More on that as the book unfolds. Receive the word immediately. Receive the word deeply. Receive the word exclusively. Exclusively value the kingdom of God more than the kingdom of this world. This coronavirus thing is a good test for how we receive the word. You don't have to benefit. You don't have the benefit on Sunday mornings of, of your brothers and sisters seeing you here or, or being encouraged by their singing and, and their presence and the whole social aspect that comes with church, which is part of God's plan. And yet we're keeping the habit of turning to the word each Lord's day. It's one of the reasons we're sticking with this 930 live stream thing is we want it to be an event in time. We want to do as much together as we can do together. We want to keep the habit of meeting together. And ours is a habit of a 930 on the Lord's day. And so we're just keeping with, with that, keeping the groove, keeping the pattern. You've logged in to listen, to hear the word and take encouragement. You've come to Jesus to hear him speak. As long as there's breath, there's time to come to him. And I pray you would. Consider these words as we close from the Apostle Paul to uh, a church in the first century. Consider what he was excited about in the church and how he described the church and let it be our prayer for us. To the Philippian, to the Thessalonian church, he wrote, we know brothers loved of God, that he's chosen you. How do we know it? Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You received the word. How? In much affliction. How? With the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word about your word, that Jesus knew what was on our minds, that he knew that we were wondering why people would reject him and how he could be the powerful promised Messiah if the response to him was so mixed. Our response is mixed in our own day. It is from day to day mixed in our own hearts. So we confess that we don't love your word like we should. We don't treasure you like we should. We don't care as much as we should. So help us, even through this word, to make us to care more, convict us of our sin, draw us in, to the conviction that the word is true and that it's needed and help us to treasure it. And may you bear much fruit 
in each of our lives and in the life of our church. A reminder that heaven has dawned, the kingdom of God has dawned in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.